We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. Uh oh, thrift diving. Hey, what's up? It's Serena Pia from thriftdiving.com, which is a do it yourself blog, YouTube channel, and podcast that helps you decorate, improve, and maintain your home with paint power tools and thrift stores without sacrificing your budget, the environment, or style. Welcome to episode 113 of the Thrift Diving Podcast. I just can't believe that we're already at 113. This is insane. (laughs) But every single week I show up here and I do it because I love it. And you show up to listen and you do that because you love it. And I appreciate you showing up. Today we're doing something completely different And this isn't something that I would have even have thought to do for an episode, aside from episode number one, where I told you, hey, here's a little bit about thrift diving and how I got started. But today's episode, it's all about me. (laughs) And it wasn't my idea. Let me tell you how it started. This is actually the idea of my friend, Laura, who is actually a thrift diving listener. She is a like email subscriber she follows my blog. She's really cool. She looks at my videos. And honestly, she's my biggest cheerleader. I love her. She's amazing. You'll hear in the in the episode how we met and how this came about. But basically, she called me last week and said, Serena, you sprinkle little bits of stuff here and there throughout all of your podcast episodes. And it's fascinating learning about you. But I want to interview you. And I want to come on the Thrift Diving Podcast. We're going to do one or two episodes where we're just learning all about you and we're going to condense it into one solid place where we can just ask questions and get answers. And it's not just sprinkled throughout all your podcasts. She actually has a background and had she actually had her own show. And you'll hear in just a moment, she's going to explain that. And so I thought, well, she knows how to do interviews. She wants to interview me why not? Let's just get on Zoom and let's just (laughs) record you asking me questions about where I grew up, you know, what it was like growing up, where did I get my creativity and inspiration? And I, you know, I love talking about that. I love talking about, uh, you know, how I got started with thrift diving. And we cover we cover this in the episode. And we ended up talking for two hours, (laughs) which is insane. But it's really not insane for Laura and I, because Laura and I, we can get on the phone and talk for easily four hours. Like, literally, we could talk all day. But for this episode, I actually am going to be splitting this into two. So if you want to hear more about who I am, the person behind the podcast, then you have to listen because we're going to talk about all of it. And it's a pretty good episode. I mean, I wondered, I was like, are people really going to be interested in hearing an episode about me? Like that just seems so self-centered, but it was her idea. So it's, I take no credit for it. <laughs> Laura, it's all you, girlfriend. We are, <laughs> you and I are friends. We. It's really interesting how we met because you had been, I guess, a longtime follower of Thrift Diving. You were listening to my podcast. It had just started really. Yeah. And I remember that very first episode where I said, well, I wanted to do a podcast, but I don't like the sound of my voice. And you sent me this email that was so sweet. And you said, you know, I have a unique voice too. And I understand what you're talking about. And and so, I don't know, we started going back and forth. And one day you had reached out to me and said, I really just need to call you. 
And I mean, I'd never talked to a reader before, you know, I'd never given out my phone number, but there was just something different about you. I just really had a good vibe about you. And I said, sure, here's my number. Give me a call. And we just connected. How long ago was that? That was um, the very beginning of the pandemic. I'm sorry. Was that at the beginning of my podcast? Absolutely. Very, 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 very beginning. So how long has that been? Okay. So that was probably around January, 2021. Okay. All right. So it was after, I think. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. It was one of those deals that I just felt so strongly that I was supposed to call you. I just knew that I was. And um, it was one of those deals that I said, I've got to call her, but she's going to think I'm some weird fan, some weird person. And so when I reached out to you, I think I explained a little bit of who I was. And I was like, okay, I'm not some weirdo. I really have some encouragement for you. And I knew I was supposed to encourage you on some things about your business. And so that's how it all started. I remember what it was. I remember the episode. I had interviewed Wendy Conklin from uh, Chair Whimsy. And if you remember, I was interviewing her. That's what it was. And she was telling telling us about how she had made like six figures doing the chair business. And then she had online courses. And I remember saying, I've got to do an online course. And it's been something I've been wanting to do for a long time. That's what it was. I just remembered that prompted you to reach out and say, there's all these things you can do. Let me tell you what I know. I have to call you. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's right. And gosh, you know what? And I still don't have that course. I still don't have that course. But you will. You will. And you're working on it. And you got the you got the groundwork there. You've got your listeners and your readers and your watchers and what have you that actually want that. So I will continue to encourage you, which I have done this whole entire time. So yeah. You <laughs> and your listeners, your listener, listeners should know too that I um that we talk, you know, frequently and we were talking every single week there for a long time, but that we've become, you know, good friends, even though there's an age difference here, that we've become precious friends to me, actually, very much so. So yeah. We have the same spirit, Laura. Yes, we really do. Uh, and weren't we talking about taking a vacation together at some point? Yes, which we would have so much fun. Oh my goodness! So yes, we would. yes, we would. Yes, so we we're would. So, so yeah. we're doing this episode a little differently because you had reached out to me last week and said, "I've got to interview you." I think there are some really interesting things about you that you know we get a little piece here, we get a little piece there, but we don't get the entire story yeah. in one episode. And so you want to interview me. And so tell tell me a little bit about your experience before we change roles here, but give give everybody an insight into why you're a good interviewer because you have a unique background. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Well, first of all, my name is Laura Rudder. I don't think you've told them that one, have you? <gasps> no. <laughs> See, folks, this is how we roll. This is how we roll. So my name is Laura Rudder for everybody. And yes, it is an honor to be able to interview Serena because this is my pleasure. I just have the thought that you all need to know who she is because she's um, she's just a precious woman. So I have the background of I used to have my own television show. It was a Christian um, television show that I interviewed people about their story, about where they were, what they went through and where they are right now. And I think everybody loves stories. That's my whole deal. I I personally love people's stories. It's always encouraging to me. And I'm sure it's encouraging to other people. So I know that you've got a a good crew of listeners and watchers. So I was like, 
they need to know Serena because she's just this fun gal. And she's, she comes across fun on the, the microphone and everything. And I was like, they need to know her. So I was like, I have to interview her. So that's my background. And so that's where we are right now. So, yes. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back and become the yeah. interviewee and you are going to become the interviewer. So we can yeah. just jump into it right now. All righty. So we're going to start out with some simple little questions here. I'm going to ask you broccoli versus asparagus. Oh, you know, I love asparagus. Okay. So asparagus versus cooked spinach. Asparagus. Asparagus. (laughs) I like regular spinach, but cooked spinach is kind of, I don't do that one. Okay. All right. So I may jump all over the place just to be a little fun, just to be a little off and not so formatted. And I hope that's okay with everybody because you're so fine. Right. You know how we do here at Thrift Diving. It's very yeah. informal. Yes, and that's good because that's all right. Mountains versus the beach. I definitely think the beach. The beach the versus the North Woods. What's the North Woods? The North Woods are, um, I always think of Wisconsin. I love the Wisconsin. The North Woods means that it's all a wooded area with all the lakes, with all the hiking and the biking and what have you. And if you're saying, what's that? You don't, that obviously that's not your no, thing. No, no. Definitely the beach, the beach with a good, uh, you know, the, you know, the, I'll, can I tell you, can I take a little aside here and tell Absolutely. you what I like to read? Absolutely. I go to the beach. So several years ago, I really started to love Helen Hildebrand. She's this author who every single book, every single novel she writes, it all takes place on Nantucket Island, every okay. single book. And I've never been to Nantucket and the way she describes it, it just sounds so idyllic not just on season, but off season. She tells love stories. And that's like the one place that I I feel like since becoming a fan of hers that I really want to visit. So every time I go to a beach, I have to read Ellen Hildebrand. (laughs) Yes. Well, then that brings us to another question because you're somewhat close to that. So tell everybody again. And like I said, some of these things your your listeners will know already, but we're just going to put it into this this sure. format here. So where is it you're living right now? And where did you grow up? Where were you born, raised kind of thing? So right now I live in Silver Spring and it's right outside. We we call it the DMV, um, DC, Maryland, VA. So it kind of encompasses the entire um, like Montgomery County, Prince George's County that's close to that border. From, from the borderline of DC, I'm probably about 15 minutes. So it's just like the suburbs of DC. Yeah. And uh, I'm originally from Hagerstown, Maryland. So if you go a little Northwest, you're going to hit, I used to call it's so funny. I used to call it like this little town, but it's actually a pretty big town or big city in Western Maryland. But for me, like growing up, it always just seemed like it was just this far away place that, you know, it just seemed like there was never any like educated people. It wasn't culture. Oh. But- uh-huh. And that's not the case. I mean, it has, it's definitely grown since I left. I left at 17 and I went to University of Maryland College Park for four, four and a half years. And when I graduated, I moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband's family that lives just four miles from here. I, I did not want to go back to Hagerstown when I graduated. And so we lived with his mom for about two years. We were in the basement and it got to the point where I said, look, we we really need to be on our own. And my husband, he just bucked against that. He didn't want to leave. He said, 
You're being a failure a- to launch. It sounds like, right? <laughs> What's that? A failure to launch. It sounds that's, like <laughs> that's what it was. And I think you know, like the kind of person that my husband is, and I think maybe we had talked about this, um, you know, offline before. Is that he's someone? Oh, and he's also mowing the backyard. So if you hear any noise in the back, it's because Not yet. Not <laughs> he's. Yet, so. Um, he's someone that doesn't like change. And so when we were there for two years, the idea of going and buying a condo and moving away, even though it was going to be close by, Mm -hmm. just caused him a lot of stress and anxiety. And we actually, I don't know if I told you this, we actually almost broke up because of this. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I literally had my stuff packed in trash bags, had the car parked at the corner, like right in front of the townhouse where we were staying. And I was out, I was, I was leaving. I was going to go back to Hagerstown and I was going to continue looking for a place, but I was going to do, I was like, that's it. I'm I'm done. And you know, what saved us. My brother-in-law who lived there at the time, he actually called my husband who even at that time he worked on the weekends, he called him and he's like, uh, Serena's leaving. Uh, I think you need to talk to her. Wow. <laughs> so he passed the phone to me. My husband, boy, then boyfriend said, oh, you know, don't leave. Let's talk about it when I got, when I get home. And I feel like that was the pivotal, pivotal point. I don't think he was on board, but he understood that, okay, I, I probably need to get on board. So ironically, he actually gave me about $4,000 towards the down payment of the place that I found. And, wow. and the crazy thing is, is that it was only in my name. So it wasn't like he and I had come together to say, okay, we're going to do this. Let's go mm-hmm. get a condo. It mm-hmm. was, Hey, I found this place. I really like it. Why don't you come and see it? I'm going to put an offer in. And then he was on board. He gave me the money, but he was still kind of hesitant. Um, and, but, but it, I mean, we got the contract, it was accepted and we moved into our first condo and it was beautiful. It just like, it had skylights. Mm-hmm. It was top level before four story building. So it had the vaulted ceilings. And nice. we loved it. We loved it. We started a family there and we lived there for eight years. Okay. Now, nice. I want to get back to when you're talking about your husband. First of all, what is his first name and where is he from? Tell me that and how the two of you met. Yes. Okay. I so, know this one. Yeah. So my husband's first name is Kwasi, K W A S I. And what's really funny is so he's from Ghana. And Ghana, West Africa, we're actually going to be traveling there in July. For yes, yeah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Finally, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I do have to say, you, I think you were also instrumental in yes. me booking that trip because you and I were on the phone and we both said, look, we need to go somewhere. Yes. And you yes. took a trip and then you would text me. You said, did you book your trip yet? <laughs> And challenge yes. was on. Challenge was on. I, I had to live. That's I had to live up to the the promise. I said, I promise you, I'll, we'll go somewhere this summer. So he's from Ghana, and uh, living in, growing up in Ghana, or being born in Ghana, it doesn't happen so much here in the in the U.S. But you know, when you're given a a Ghanaian name, it's for the day that you're born. So Kwasi means boy born on um, Sunday. So. Yes. So if you're, let's say you're, um, you're born a boy and you're born on Saturday, your name is Kwame, K-W-A-M-E. And so you have a lot of people walking around with the same names, but that's what I was going to say. They must all have the same. How do you distinguish because the last name, I suppose, or last name could be middle name. So it, it, it may not even be just 
first name, middle name, it could be a longer name. Um, and you may go by both, both names. Like for example, his, um, his brother is Kofi, which means boy born on Friday. So he may say to me, oh, I talked to Kofi today. And I'm like, well, Kofi, who Kofi, your brother, Kofi, like, who are you talking about? But if he says, you know, Kofi JB, I'm like, oh, okay, your brother. So sometimes it's like you just add on a little bit of the middle name or oh, wow. part of the name. <laughs> so what but, do they do? Really quick side note. I'm just curious to know. And this is how we talk, folks. Um, how how does how do they name the girls then? The girls are the same. So there's a set of girl girl names, and the, the the day that you're born is the day that you're the name that you're given. Now, what I find though is that. Now, like, for example, his brothers have also um, gotten married, had children, and their names are not Guinean names. They will give them the, the Guinean middle name. But, you know, my nieces are uh, Isabella, um, Valerie, you know, very basic, dare I say, American just American names. American More names. American names. Yeah. Yes, right. American names. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you your, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm interrupting. Sorry. And I always don't mean to talk, you to can me, interrupt. but I've got so much I've got to want to ask your three sons. Cause you have three sons, right? Yes. Three sons, three yes. sons. And they have, I think one of them, doesn't one of them have an African name? Yes. Oh, no. All three of them do. Yes. And that so, was the choice between the two of you, or he said, no, we're, this is how we're naming them and we're not doing American or what? No, no, I, I wanted, I did not want my kids to have American names. I, I, I wow. love the fact that they have uh, a father with so much rich history and that they have these Ghanaian roots. So when our oldest was born, my husband, he was, the, my, my oldest is the first grandchild. So my husband is one of four boys. He's the second of four. And he was the first one to have children. So our oldest is 16 out of all the grandkids. The oldest is 16, our son. And because that was the first grandchild, he said, well, can we name him after my dad, which is Kwabena, K-W-A-B-E-N-A. When people read it, it looks like Kwabena, but it's Kwabena um, or Kwabena, depends on how you want to put the accent. But traditionally, it's Kwabena. Kwabena is the exact pronunciation. And um, so I said, I don't really want to name him Kwabena after your dad. I really like the, I really like Jata. Jata actually means lion, G-Y-A-T-A. It means lion. So the whole time that I was pregnant, I kept saying, oh, baby Jata, baby Jata, because I thought that was going to be his first name. <laughs> so there we are in the hospital. And, you know, I, in my mind, I'm thinking this is baby Jata. Well, my husband's like, can we please name him after, you know, he kind of caught me at a vulnerable spot. I just give yeah. him birth. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to debate names here. So sure, we'll name him Kwabana Jata. So his name is Kwabana Jata. And what's really, what's really funny is that my son, um, Kwabana Jata, he actually was very fair skin, had blonde hair, and kind of looked like a lion. That's what that's what Jata means. It means lion. And so he actually kind of resembled, he had these similar features as a lion. He was just, you know, very pale. He had like this golden hair. <laughs> very wow. strange because my husband is Ghanaian, but you know, there were some recessive genes that just came out in that baby. So he looks a little different than my other two. But my middle son, his name is Ohene, O-H-E-N-E. And that actually means king. And what's interesting is when we visited Ghana back in 2003, that was the first and only time I'd been to Ghana. There was a little boy that I met there. His name was Ohene Ba, which means king's son. 
And I just loved the way Ohene sounded. Like, I love that. So when we were having a ba- another baby, I said, I want to name him Ohene. And my husband said, well, that's not a, that's not really a Ghanaian name. That's more of a title. You know, that's a king. It means king. I said, well, I don't care. It's still Ghanaian enough. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't follow tradition, but it's still Ghanaian enough. And uh, I said, we'll give him your middle name. And we did. So he's Ohene Kwasi. And then our youngest son, who's 11, at this point, Laura, we were kind of running out of names because now remember, if we name traditionally for the day that a child is born, yes. he was actually born on is it Wednesday. No, no, no. My youngest son was actually born on Tuesday, which means boy born on Tuesday, Kwabana. I already had a Kwabana, so I couldn't name. Oh, oh yes. I couldn't name our youngest Kwabana because yes. he was born on a Tuesday. I couldn't do it. So I said, okay, well, what days of the week do we have left? We can't name him Kofi because you have a brother, Kofi. I, you know, Kwame's good, but let's let's go with Kojo. Kojo's kind of cool. And then his middle name is Mensa, which means thirdborn son in my husband's language, uh, okay. which is tree, T-W-I. It sounds like tree. So my youngest is Kojo Mensa. And what's interesting is when I'm in public and I'm I'm calling out to the kids or I'm talking to them. If there's a Ghanaian person around and hears that, they will always say, oh, are you from Ghana? And I said, no, but my, my husband is, you know, so it's this, it's this, this connection that they will always have to their roots yeah. that I feel that, that other people, um, or either let's say a Ghanaian marries an American or my brother-in-law and his wife, I mean, they're both Ghanaian, um, but they chose a name that if that child is walking around and, you know, they say, Hey, Valerie nobody's going to know who she is or where she comes from. But my kids, people will always say, oh, what do you know about Ghana? Well, my father's from there. I actually went there summer of 2023. And I want them to have that connection. That was very important to me. So I didn't want to just choose a name that just anybody could have. I wanted them to have those unique cultural names for sure. And their middle names are also from uh, Ghana names? Yes. So Jata is not an official name. Although, you know, maybe you would find other Ghanaians, but it is it, it is a Ghanaian word. So um, if someone were to see it, they would say, oh, you know, so their middle names are still traditional as well. Okay. You didn't yeah. do anything American on that one. So no, nope. no, nope. no, no. Real we, quick. I will tell you, we have, I do, I do, I will tell you, we have a joke where I will say to my kids, so if you had an American name, what would it be? And they're just like, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> They don't even know because I'm. I, I just want to know, like, okay, what would you have chosen an American name for yourself? And they're like, I don't even know, mommy. I That's even to fun. this day, if I had to choose American names, I don't think there's any American know. name that even suits my children. <laughs> not, it was not meant to be, then, right? It's not meant to be not exactly. Meant to be. Okay, couple of questions. I want to know um, really quick how you met your husband Ooh. and a little bit of your background because I know. Um, you know, your hair, your skin color and everything like that. You've mentioned you've had a white mother. So I want to touch on those two things, if you would. So your your listeners will know about those two things, a little more about you. Yeah. So my husband and I, we had actually met, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story. We met totally by chance. So I'll go back a little bit further. Um, senior year in high school, I had applied to just a couple, just a few schools. And I didn't want to go to Atlanta where my then high school boyfriend was right. Cause I don't, I was even at, even at 17, I knew that I was not, you know, somebody that was going to chase a man somewhere. So I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get into the university of Maryland. Cause I visited that school. I liked the campus. 
And before you, before you actually attend, um, you have to do this testing to make sure that you know where you fit in. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Okay. I, the, I'm not hearing a lot more at all. Not okay, at perfect. all. You were good. You were good. Perfect. You're good. Right. So I know because he's like right outside the door now. <laughs> no, you're good. I turned my air conditioner up too, so it would never click on. So we're good. Okay. All right. <laughs> as long as the, nothing rings or whatever. I took put cell phone on silent. So we're good. This is, this good. is real life. This is real life. This is real life. You're good. Do you're good. Good. <laughs> so um, so yeah. So anyway, I wanted to go to, to the University of Maryland, but um my my grades were okay, but my GPA was my GPA was okay, but it was only because senior year I really started to kind of buckle down and do what I needed to do in order to raise my GPA. So, so I started doing really well senior year, really became focused on college and wanting to uh, apply to University of Maryland, but I didn't get in. My SAT scores were horrible. And, um, you know, my mom didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. So taking a SAT prep course, that just wasn't a possibility. Right. I didn't do very well, but because I was considered low income, black, uh, my dad is black. Well, he's he's now deceased. Um, he passed. When did he pass? Two thousand three, I think it was. I think it was two thousand three. Um, uh, but so because twenty I felt, years ago, that'll be twenty years ago. Whatever the date is, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. two thousand three. Yes. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> time goes fast. Yes. So because I fell into that category of of being a minority, low income, single parent. Um, there was a program called uh, Intensive Education Development, IED. And what they did was they took a subset of people who had applied to the University of Maryland, and they said, we're going to give them a chance. But before we actually admit them, we're going to make them go through this summer intense program where we can teach them college study skills, we can support them. And if they do well during the summer program, then we'll allow them admission in the fall. So I said to my mom, I said, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do this program, but I got to go to do testing. This was like March of uh, 1995. You've got to go do this testing so we know where to place you. Well, on that day that I was supposed to go to do testing, my mom had this weird symptom that just popped up that she's never had this. She could her feet had swollen and they were painful and she could not walk. (laughs) And I said, Okay, mom, don't worry about it. I'll call them. I'll I'll see if I can reschedule. So they said, sure, come in next Tuesday. Well, next Tuesday is when I actually ended up in the same class as my husband. And yeah, I I'd say that's a God thing right there. That's a God thing right there. <laughs> it yeah. was. And <laughs> so I was this, you know, very rambunctious, eager, excited, couldn't believe I was at University of Maryland. I was in the front row and I'm sitting up all nice and tall and I'm <laughs> raising my hand, asking all the questions. And I remember my husband, he was one row over and one seat back. And I just remember him kind of being slumped in his seat. Like he didn't really want to be there, you know, like it was just something he had to do. And I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, I'm kind of checking out the guys. So that was in March. And that was the first time that I'd seen him. And the program started in July. Well, in July, the orientation had started. And after one part, we were all supposed to walk over to another part of the campus. And I remember walking next to him, didn't, you know, hadn't talked to him, but my mom said, Hey, that guy's checking you out. And I was like, fluffing my hair. I said, no, I know. I don't blame him. 
And well, you are pretty. You are very pretty. So I don't blame him looking. <laughs> well, thank you. He was probably checking out all the other ladies too. But <laughs> but he remembers what's interesting is that he remembers my sister pushing my nephew, who was five months at the time, in the stroller next to us, right? And now my nephew is like this big six foot three, four, oh. 28-year-old man. So it's so funny, like just knowing that he remembers my sister pushing him in the stroller. Yeah. So that was in July. And about maybe a couple weeks after that. Um, it was only a six week program. I, one night I got this weird voicemail message and it, there wasn't a message attached to it, but the university of Maryland system was somebody would call you and it would say, you know, call from Laura six, three, one, two, or whatever. And yeah. then there was a message. So it said his name. And I said, well, I, I think I, you know, I know who that guy is. I'd never talked to him during the program, but let me call him back and see me. Why did he call? So I called him back, left a message he called me back and we started talking on the phone. Come to find out, Laura, this is what's insane. His friend had accidentally called the wrong number. And his friend had hung up, but not before it actually caught the call from yeah. 6413 yeah. or whatever the number was. And so that's how we started talking. So we started spending time together during this program. We you know, had a little date night, walked down Route 1 at University of Maryland. There was nothing to do. We didn't have cars. You know, his mom had dropped him rice off. He made me rice. And so, you know, we got to know each other, spent time together during these last two weeks of the program. So it was about four weeks into the program when I met him. And I just remember missing him so much when we left. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to go back. Freshman year is going to start. We both got into the University of Maryland. This is going to be great. So we pretty much became an item that freshman year or during that summer. And by, I would say by senior year, we were, I was pretty much living in his room. Like I had a single, but at that point I was pretty much living in his room. He didn't have a roommate. We were still on campus. We were, we were an item. Um, He was still doing his weekend job. So, you know, we would have fun and party on uh, Friday nights. And then Saturday by like seven in the morning, he's waking up. He had that discipline, even at, even in college, you know, everybody else was going to the dining, the dining hall, getting um, the, the, what do you call them? Like the pancakes and the Belgian waffles. And he's yeah. walking to the Metro station to go to work. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Still, he still works. He's still very works. disciplined. Very disciplined. Yeah. It's kind of been our MO. So that's how we met. We met by accident. And okay. let me tell you, it was tumultuous. We would, we would make up, we would break up, we would make up, break up. And I, th- you know, going back, looking at my old diaries, I think it was more so me wanting a commitment and wanting to, you know, have him admit like, Hey, we're together. You know, you love me. I'm your girlfriend. And, and, and looking back now that we've been together for almost 27 years, I guess, I guess it is 27, um, 27, 28. It's a 27. Actually, I think in August, um, you know, I really think that I I probably should not have pressured him so much that you know, we should have, we should have dated, but we should not have been so exclusive. That's such a young age, 17. (laughs) <laughs> it is a very young age, but I get you because my husband and I met when I was 17 and he had just turned 18. So I get you too. Oh, so yeah. you, yes. You understand. I get yeah. I get yeah. Did the date it through college? Uh, absolutely. So it's whenever yeah. you hit it off, you hit it off and you know that there yes. is, you know that there is. So yeah. Yep. yep. And, yeah. and what's really interesting when you've been with someone for that amount of time is that you, you, you see the things like the things that I saw in my husband during college, I didn't really understand it until I got older, you know, like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like he's somebody that he would hate for me to be telling all this, but like, he was someone that he doesn't like 
to hold hands in public. He doesn't like to do that kind of stuff. And so, you know, my 17, 18, 19 year old brain is like, why are you pulling away? Like, why can't I hold your hand? Why can't, you know, why can't I like hug you in public? And I took it personally that he was just like embarrassed of me, but it's not, it's not, it wasn't me per se. It was the fact that he's someone who's very reserved, which is why you never see him for the most part on thrift diving videos. You never see pictures of us on Facebook because he's just not that kind of person. He doesn't even like that. I am like, so forthcoming with, with information. He was silent don't tell anything. It's just between us. So the fact, <laughs> I think he's looking at your personality though, right? <laughs> we're total, we're total opposites. Total opposites. Yes. <laughs> I think he's looking at me through, oh, he's looking at his phone. I thought he was looking at me through the mirror. I mean, through the window. Oh, he's, he's, not. he's looking. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to get, cause I got so many things. Our time is going on. All right. So Anything you want to say really quickly about your parents or your background of that situation or not? You just you just mentioned it and you're speaking that you had a white mother and a black father. So white mother, black father. I mean, that was a really interesting, that was a really interesting um story how I came to to be. I was actually, let's see. So my mom, my mom and my dad, they actually met when they were 16. They fell in love. Yeah, they fell in love, but you know, it just, it didn't work out. And maybe like around 1920, she went her way. He went his way. He got married. Um, she didn't get married, but she had another, she had a daughter. So my sister, my older sister. Um, and then when he got married, he had a daughter. So I've got two half sisters, one I grew up with, one I didn't grow up with. Um, but over the years, I mean, they loved each other. They saw each other at some point they came back together Whoops, there's Serena. Didn't plan for her. Oh, really? Yes. Know this. Okay. They were, they didn't plan for me. And so at that time, you know, my mom knew that my dad was not going to be there for her the way she would have wanted him to. So she actually wanted to get an abortion with me because she already had one child with a dad who wasn't there. And she's like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? And um, so she wanted him to give money so that she can get an abortion. And he's like, no, I'm not giving you money to get an abortion. So yay, she- dad. I'm so glad he did it, precious one. <laughs> oh, yay, dad. You go, guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So so he pretty much, he saved my life. But, you know, it's really interesting, yeah. though, because even though he saved my life, he was never there. Like, he was not involved. So even though he was, you know, he was married, he was with his wife, he loved my mom, they had their thing. Um. And, you know, even to the end of his life, um, you know, he would tell you without a doubt, like, yeah, I, I love her. I love your mother. Um, but it was, you know, it was never the kind, he was never the, he was not the kind of person that I think was, he just wasn't a good, he just wasn't a good dad. I don't think he knew how to be a good dad actually. And, you know, and I actually, and he lived in Hagerstown. So it wasn't like he lived far away. He just was not involved. And he had come back. Oh no, I called him. So I had done a semester at, um, in Florida, um, Florida International University. So I went to school in Miami. I did an exchange program there my junior year. So on my way back, I remember just, it was around my birthday after I had gotten back. And I remember just wanting to call him and just tell him, you know, you were never there for me. Do you even know that I have a birthday coming up? And I think when I called him at that time, um, his wife, sweet woman, sweet, sweet woman, she was actually nearby, so he couldn't really respond. And all he said was, well, okay. 
And that's it. So then I was like, okay, bye. So I didn't talk to him for, it was probably a couple of years after that. And I hadn't, but I hadn't already, but I, I didn't have conversation with him anyway. So it wasn't like I was missing anything, gotcha. but I remember after a couple of years or so, I started feeling like, you know, I should probably go and talk to him. I'm just going to stop by his house because if anything ever happens to him, I want to make sure he knows that I'm really not harboring that feeling. I just really want kind of wanted to share what, what my thoughts were, but I just didn't want him to think that I hated him. So I showed up at his house one day out of the blue. And I still remember his face the way, like he was just kind of shocked, but not in a bad way. And, um, and I was trying to apologize or at least just tell him like, Hey, you know, I'm just, but he kind of cut me off and he wanted to focus on my car. My dad loved cars. And so this was my first car that I'd ever owned. It was a 95 Toyota Camry. (laughs) And so he was more focused on the car. So he kind of steered the conversation back to the car. Like he didn't want to talk about the fact that I told him these things. He didn't even want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Sounds like he, he doesn't, he didn't know how to deal with relationships. He didn't know how to deal with this daughter that how do I parent her when I'm not even married to her mother. I'm married to another one. That's what it sounds like to me. I just right. don't know what to do with the situation. So let's just right. talk about the car. Yeah. yeah. Let's not even, yeah. Let's, the elephant in the room, forget it. Let's go talk about something else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, and that's what we did. And, you know, he admired the car and I think he was proud of the fact that I got my first car and all of that. And um, I think there was maybe a little bit of interaction that I had with him after that. It's kind of vague. Like, you know, at one point I remember we went to kind of where he would, cause my mom, I mean, my dad loved to drink and he'd go to the bars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he took me to like to the bars and he was kind of showing me off, but I think because nobody knew I was his daughter and I don't think he wanted them to think that he was with a younger woman. <laughs> so I think he was just like, Oh, this is my daughter. This is my, this is my daughter. And um, yeah, so he, he did that. And, and one morning I got a call from my sister, the one I grew up with. And she said, your dad died. And I was like, and I just remember, and you know, she, I, I just remember like not being able to talk. And I just passed the phone to my husband because I, I literally couldn't talk. It's just the shock of getting that call that like a parent, even regardless of whether I was not close with him or, or whatever, right. just getting the call that a parent had passed, it just shocks you. Was and that so, something, I'm going to interrupt, was that something sudden or was he ill sudden. and you didn't know it or what? No, it was sudden. He had a massive heart attack. And oh, okay. He was only 48 years old. He was only oh. 48. He was young. Oh, I'm 45. So as I get closer to that age, I'm like, wow, he really wasn't old. You know, it felt like he was old, but he wasn't old. I hear you. Heart attack. He, um, he had diabetes. He had, uh, according to, and I still need to go back to my other sister. because I think she has more information, but he had, he had gout. He had other health issues. Um, and I don't think he was taking his medication the way he was supposed to, because I think he had had some maybe minor heart attacks or he kind of knew that like, okay, your heart's not good. You have to take this medication. And I don't think he was doing it consistently. So he wasn't, he wasn't taking care of himself and, um, yeah, he had a massive heart attack. Um, and I think, and it was really, and it was really hard for my mom. She, she had not really talked to her, to him or engaged with him in, a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just, it was even more of a shock to her. And my mom is somebody that doesn't share her emotions. She doesn't share, doesn't show her emotions. And I grew up seeing that. So I, I think I took that on myself, 
Hmm. And um, it took her at least a year before she even cried. And I remember one night, yeah, one night, um, it it kind of just came out and in a very brief, like 20 second cry. That was the first time she had, she had even let loose. Which is so unhealthy. She stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. And that is so unhealthy. Yeah. Yep. she, She did not go to the funeral. And I remember she had said, you know, he, they had both had a conversation that, Hey, something happens to me. You come to my funeral. Okay. Well, if something happens to me, you come to my funeral and she didn't go to his, she just, I I think she just couldn't deal with it. And, um, you know, she, she was feeling like she didn't know how she would be received. You know, here's the, the mother of like the illegitimate child showing up at the funeral. But, you know, what's really interesting is a few years ago, she'd actually run into his wife. And I told you, his wife was just, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they said hi and hugged and, and she's like, well, you could have come to the funeral. Like she had told my mom, you could have come to the funeral. And so my mom's like, oh, now you tell me. But honestly, I don't think my mom would have even have gone to the funeral. I really don't think she would have gone. I don't think she could, I don't think she could have dealt with it, to be honest with you. How gracious of that woman. How very, very gracious of that woman to extend that like that. Wow. That's really something. Yeah. She, I I don't get to see her. I, I, it's been years since I've seen her and she's just amazing. She's amazing. She's an amazing woman. Let me ask you this. Okay. Talking about the different people in your life, who was a big influence on you? Or maybe you had several people that were big influences on you um, that helped mold your personality, helped mold you know, your faith, your politics, your, the way you live, you dress, you act, you talk, the, all those, I mean, anything that shapes our personalities as a mother, as a spouse, um, who, who, or how many people or what had huge influence on you? Yes. Um, you know, I would, I would, I definitely would say my mom has had a big influence. And I think the reason is because she's always been an independent woman. She's always been somebody who like, she never really, she never really had to depend on anybody. She had to kind of make her own way, Mm. you know, because my mom, my mom has always preferred black men. Oh, okay. (laughs) Even from from when she was in, you know, uh, like high school, she just, that's just what she naturally, and it was not, it was not acceptable. You know, how dare you be a white woman and, you know, date black men. And so tell, we're, you tell your audience, how old is your mother? So they have an idea I'm about when she grew up. I'm six, six. So that gives yeah. the look of when she grew up. And as far as, oh, that's not cool. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so she was actually kicked out of the house at, at one point because my grandparents was like, no, you will not date a black person. And she, I think she had lived with her grandfather for a while. And, um, that's just, you know, so, so she didn't have a good relationship with her parents and it was only later that she had kind of reconciled with them. And I don't remember them being around until I was probably in about fifth or sixth grade. We'd go and visit my grandmother. And it was even later that, that she really had a relationship with her father. And that was after his wife. Cause he had, he and my grandmother, they had gotten divorced a long time ago and he had remarried to a really wonderful woman. And when that wonderful woman had passed, my mom kind of stepped in and said, Hey, why don't you come to dinner every, every Sunday? And that's how we kind of forged a relationship with him. So I didn't grow up really with, with any close grandparents. So really it was just, didn't. no, no I extended family like that. No cousins or anything. Huh? I, I had wow. some cousins. I had some cousins. I would see them at like Christmas time or whatever, but I'm not really close to any of them. 
Uh-huh. And I feel like as I get older, uh, like I just got uh, a text from my cousin. He had reached out to me recently and just actually last week. And I said, Hey, we should do something this summer. Let, let's get a family like picnic together or something like, let's do that. Yeah. Cause I really would like to bring more of the family back together. So we don't really, we don't really see each other. I see my mom, I see my sister, niece, nephew, yeah. uh, but it's always been sort of our group. And my mom really has, she's, she's been such a strong woman. She had taken care of my grandmother when she had Alzheimer's, when my grandmother had Alzheimer's. Um, she's been really, really strong and a caregiver. And I think seeing her be so independent, I think it's kind of allowed me to be independent as well. Cause I just, I just have this mentality and I know it's probably wrong <laughs> when you're married, but I just have this mentality that I'm going to do what I want to do. Life is too Life is short. Life is short. Right. You know? So I, I, so I feel like I'm going to do what I want to do. And my mom has always been there to support me. So if I say, Hey, I want to go back to school and to this carpentry program. Oh, well, that's awesome. Or I want to go to school in Miami for a semester. She wouldn't try to step in and say, well, you know, there's crime there. There's this, she's always literally been there to support me and whatever it is that I want to do. Nice. And so, you know, I, I feel like I can just do whatever I want. And my husband doesn't necessarily agree. I don't know. I just feel that she, I, I like knowing that my mom will support me in whatever I do. Like I will have at least one person that supports me in whatever I do. I'm going to change the subject on you just a little bit. I want to talk about your health because you are so very health conscious. And um, you talk about a lot about running, about lifting weights, about exercising, about your diet. Just touch upon that just a little bit. How did you become a health, a healthy health nut, if we want to use that word, and how that come about. And I think you're either vegan or vegetarian, vegetarian, right? Uh, vegetarian. Yep. Vegetarian. Okay. Tell us just, you know, just a brief little quick synopsis of how all this came about to be um, when you're one day, all of a sudden you're like, did it hit you? I'm going to be healthy. Or have you always been healthy person? And just something traumatizing happened to you that, that you said, I'm definitely going to live like this. So in um, enlighten us on that then. Yeah. Well, I've been a vegetarian for um, probably 23 years and that was just kind of a gradual thing. It just started with cutting out like beef and it was only red meat, cutting out red meat, but then things started like other things started to taste funny to me. I didn't like the taste of chicken and I didn't like the taste of Turkey and then seafood was like, Oh, and um, gradually it just became, Hey, I, the only thing I can do is I can do cheese pizza. I can't do any meat, fish, seafood. And um, now I think there's environmental issues that support the reason why I don't eat meat. Um, And also there's so many good substitutes, but really I think when I, when the scale, now I'm five, nine, so I'm tall, I have a a space for things to kind of spread Mm -hmm. out. I hit, I want to say spring of 2021, I hit like 183 pounds. And for me, that's big. That's the biggest I've ever been outside of being pregnant. And now keep in mind going, um, or like, let's say high school, I was always around 140, 150. I've always been kind of in, not I want to say in shape, always had a slim build. I guess that'd be very slim for your height. Yes. Yes. I've always had a slim build, but I didn't, I didn't look sickly. I, you know, I had hips to me. I look shapely. Um, but I think with the pandemic, we just started to eat and I just started to eat and, even though like for my entire life, I've always kind of been a runner. Like I remember when I was in third grade, I was doing runs and took first place. And I remember looking around behind me and everybody was behind me, right? Like 
I just loved running. And so it's something that I did off and on, but I hadn't done it consistently. And I think most people can identify with this. You start a weight loss program, you get to a certain weight, and you're like, yay, I'm here. I hit this weight, this goal weight. I can fit these skinny jeans, right? And then you gain the weight back, right? And so in the past, I would start doing this this back and forth. When I was pregnant with my first son, I gained 60 pounds, which was insane. I would I would stop and get like four crispy crispy cream donuts and demolish them within five minutes. <laughs> I don't. They were delicious, but not healthy. <laughs> healthy, and so you know, big bowls of cereal. Oh, I'm eating for the baby, and it was almost like it gave me permission to just engorge on anything I wanted. So it took nine months to get that weight off, and. I I really think since having kids, I just went up and down, up and down. Well, with my last baby, I think I had him at third, was it 30? Yeah, 34. I I just kind of got stuck in the 170s. And it it then over the pandemic went to like 183. And I said, I got to do something about this. Got to do something. Got to do something. And so the thing that I did differently this time is, yes, I, I run. I still run. It's been two years. But what I do differently is I lift weights now. And I had never done that consistently before. Now, when I'm going to the little community center, uh, I'm, you know, I've got like leg day yesterday. And the next time I go, I'll be working my um, abdominals and my back. Like I have a, I have a program. I keep track of what I do. And what's interesting is when you start tracking where you started from to where you are now, you can't believe how much stronger you've gotten. Mm. When I, that first day that I went, I was now I was working with a trainer. I have a friend of mine who um, I, I'd started off with, off with just with maybe like 12 sessions. And I remember doing the chest press and I just had one plate. It was probably what, maybe 12 pounds. <laughs> and I really thought I was doing something. And I recorded this and I put it on Instagram. I'm like, yep, I'm starting today. Oh, get me going. I felt so proud. Now I'm, you know, I'm doing like 144 pounds and I'm doing, you know, like, wow. so it, it's just amazing to me how much progress I've made. And what's interesting is yes. we even test yourself to see, what well, can I add on just a little bit more weight mm. when you see that, you know what, I can actually do three, mm-hmm. three reps of just, you know, the next plate. I didn't know. It's, it's almost like a challenge. You're challenging yourself. And that's what I've done differently this time is I'm challenging myself with the weight training. And even though I've, I've gained a, a little bit back, because I did hit that low point. Mm-hmm. Laura, I hit that low point for about three, four days. <laughs> and that's then I was frustrating and maddening in it. I worked how oh. hard and it's already back. What? Yes. I remember like I hit that low point. It was like 164. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh. Cause 165 is where I wanted to be. And then a few days later, I kind of stayed, I stayed steady at 166 to 168. And then it was back in, it was the fall. I think it was October of 2022. I don't know what it was. I went to a Maryland tailgating game, drank a lot of beer, which I normally don't drink. And suddenly it's like the pounds. Just, you didn't it. Yeah. It was, it was like those yeah. cats just said, Hey, I remember this. <laughs> that is so maddening. And so everything else. Oh my oh. goodness. So it sounds like you just kind of organically just 
started this from elementary school as far as the running and that kind of stuff. It wasn't any, any time an owl that said, I am doing this. It's just one of those organic things that just happened as far as your eating, as far as your exercise, which is yep. really awesome. And you realize too, that when you start in that um, few pounds on Instagram, what a, um, what a good, what's the word I want to say? What a good example for somebody else, an encouragement for somebody else that you probably don't even know about because yeah. you're doing it. And it's like, okay, yeah, she's starting there. Now look where she's at too. Yeah. So if she can do yeah. this, I can do that too. Um, so look at it that way. All right. I want to switch to you. Um, pets. Do you have any pets? I do not have any pets. Okay. Are you like a pet person, you why? person or yeah, our guinea pig? Why? Tell me why. I'll tell you why. Um, the reason I have no pets <laughs> is because my husband doesn't believe that people should own pets. Oh, okay. He 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 feels it's cruel to you know take them outside of their nature and and cage them and put them on leashes. And for so long, I thought, wow, you're just really kind of far out there. But you know, it's really interesting. A few days ago, I was actually listening to an NPR segment where they had a woman come on and I wish I remember her name, remembered her name. She actually said that like, was it 80% of dogs, 80% of the behaviors that she sees that are like problematic behavior. It's all due to stress because these dogs, even though we think they're living these great lives, they're not, they're not doing what dogs inherently do, which is like they explore, they run, they travel, like they do all these dog things and when you keep them inside, even if you take them out for walks or whatever, you're not allowing them to be a dog. And uh, so when I, when I listened to that, I thought, oh my gosh, like he's, he's right. <laughs> There's research proved that dogs feel stressed because of the environment that they're in. Okay. And I realized he's right about that. He's right. So if, you know, so that's why we don't have pets because he, he doesn't allow it. And that's the one thing that I've not been able to like, yeah, uh, you know, flex my independent woman you know, <laughs> but that's a line you're not going to cross, right? That's a line I'm not going to cross. Yeah. I feel like that would just be too disrespectful because that's, you know, that that's his comfort. That's his belief. And, um, you know, if it's something like, for example, when I wanted to go to carpentry school, he's like, well, I don't understand why you want to do that. Like that's, a, he was not on board with it. He was not on board with me getting, um, you know, my she shed. He was like, I, why do you have to do that? Like, it's just, you know, he was just poo-pooing on the idea. Um, but when it comes to like getting a pet, like that's something that affects the entire family. I wouldn't just spring that on him no. or an animal. No. Um, but I did have a cat when I was, I had, oh, I had hamsters I, and they were all named Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was a girl, it was Fred. Or Fred was a hamster. I had a cat named Lionel when I was in high school. All right. I want to get to ask you questions about, um, you're talking about the corporate world. You're talking about um, in the past a little bit of job. Tell me about your corporate world. You told us where you graduated from. Yep. Now, from what was your degree and what did you go do with it, if anything? And the latest into the segment where I know you told your audience, but I want to tell it on this, this session about how you left that job and got into what you're doing right now and, and so forth. So start us back to your, when you graduated, what was your degree? Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's in psychology. And the reason why I chose psychology is because I was just really, really interested in it. My mom had taken some psychology 101 classes at the community college. So she had some of the psychology books around the house. And I would read, I would actually just sit and read the psychology books. 
they were so interesting, especially like social psychology mm-hmm. and how people reacted in different social situations. And I just thought that was fascinating. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go and study psychology, but I never knew what I was going to do with it afterwards. So when it got close to senior year, um, I realized, oh, I got to figure out what to do because psychology, you can't really do anything with a psychology degree with four years. You got to go for at least a master's or a PhD. And when I was in college, I actually did some programs that were for people that wanted to go and, and do a PhD. So I think I did those programs only because they allowed me to stay on campus during the summer <laughs> and work. And so I actually had a really interesting internship where I worked in a lab um, cutting up the brains of the little budgie agars, like the little parakeets, the real cute ones you can buy oh. at the store. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the entire lab was filled with like these little budgies. And the uh, investigator was looking at like the auditory. Um, the auditory parts of the brain of these budgies. And I would like look at them underneath the slides and, you know, do little things. And so that's what my internship was. But when I graduated, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I ended up finding a uh, program at NIH, National Institutes of Health in Bethesda. And I worked with overweight children on a research study as part of the uh, NIDDK, National Institutes of Digestive Diseases, yeah, something. I can't remember what K stands for. But so I worked under a department um, on this study. It was called the Orlistat study. So it was really interesting because we had overweight, we enrolled overweight kids into this program. And the goal was to see if, if Orlistat, which had been approved for adults um, to block the absorption of fat, if it could work with overweight kids. It was a really interesting study. So I did that for, it was supposed to be a two-year program and it was supposed to kind of launch you into a PhD program. But after a year, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do a PhD. And I think I need to leave this program because the stipend was very low. It was like $17,000. And I remember I was living with my mother-in-law, well, not quite mother-in-law, but I was living with my future mother-in-law at that time. So it worked financially. And after a year, I left and I went across the street to the Naval Medical Center as a government contractor. And I was working on a unit called um, the Clinical Pharmacology Unit. So this is interesting. I was actually the activities coordinator. And what we did was we recruited cocaine users for a research study. Yes, Active people actually came came forward and said, "Yes, I'm a cocaine addict." Yes. Whoa. Yes. We we would we would put out um, notices in the city paper, and people would call, and I'd have to like kind of screen them over the phone. Okay, if you're a good a match, then let's get you in. And then once they were in, it was an inpatient study for like five or six weeks. So they would actually get infused with cocaine like medical grade cocaine. And then they would um, do questionnaires. They And so what they were doing is they were testing a medication to see if it would actually help block the craving for cocaine. Oh. And yes, it was really interesting. So as the researchers, I was like the research recruiter slash activities coordinator. I was the person doing the telephone calls to schedule them and bring them in. But then once they were there doing their inpatient stays, I would take them over to on base, like they, and and that's another thing too, because we were on base, they had to have an escort because the military did not want cocaine users on their base. (laughs) They did not. 
So in order for them, in order for them to be there, they had to have an escort. So I was escorting them where they needed to go. And so I would take them over to the bowling alley. We would shoot pool. We would go and see movies. Like they, were, they would show movies on campus or uh, on base. And so we would go see movies. And I did that for, for probably, was it like three or four years, I think. And then while I was there, I actually had gotten my master's degree. So I decided that I was going to do a master's in quality systems management. I didn't know what that was, but I just knew it was all about. Sorry. No, I don't know that one either. So quality systems. Quality systems management. It was a one-year program. It was convenient because it was literally right down the hall from where I was working. So I could just, after I work, just go down here and it was a one-year program. And so quality systems management is all about process improvement like Six Sigma, like Lean Six Sigma, these corporations were trying to improve their processes to reduce waste. And I'm like, well, that seems kind of cool. So I did that program. And after I finished, I actually had left that current job and I, I went to a company called Delmarva. And Delmarva was not a government contract position, but it was what they were doing was trying to help like nursing homes and hospitals reduce the risk of surgical surgical site infections. So I was a, was I a program manager? I think I was a program manager, but again, it was like recruiting people into studies. Um, And I did that for a couple of years. And then I ended up going kind of back to the government contract position. And I was working at the center for the center for deployment psychology. So this was, this was right up to when I was, when I had gotten fired. Well, there you have it. Part one of the getting to know Serena podcast. (laughs) interviewed by Laura Rudder. This was a really, really fun interview. Sometimes you don't really sit back and think about your life, but when someone's asking you all these questions about who you are, where you came from, how you got started and what you're doing now, and you know, taking you back on that trip down memory lane, it's really interesting. You start putting two and two together, realizing that you know, when you were a kid, a lot of the things that you did when you were a kid, really kind of leads you to be who you are as an adult. And, you know, I always tell people when you're an adult and you're not sure what your passions are, when you're not sure where you're going in life, you just don't know what the next step is. Think back to when you were a kid, because everything that you experienced, everything that you were interested in, it all plays into who you are today. And it was just really fun going back down memory lane with some of these questions that Laura had asked. And it was just a really fun interview. So you got to come back next week for the next episode because we continue the conversation where I'm telling you about how I got fired. (laughs) What happened? Was it my fault? Short answer, no, not really. (laughs) But you'll hear all about that and more questions that Laura asked me. And in a future episode, you will hear where... We're talking again, and we haven't done the interview yet, but she's going to ask me specifically some things about thrift diving from a business standpoint. So if you're interested in starting your own business, maybe a blog, maybe a YouTube channel, you might want to come back for that episode, which will be coming up in the next few weeks. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Laura, again, thank you so much for interviewing me. And more importantly, thank you for being my friend. I feel like I need to break out in the Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Anyway, I thought Laura was going to ask me, which Golden Girl are you? And she didn't, but I will tell you, I really think that I am like, hmm, I'm kind of a mix between Sophia because I'm sarcastic and 
Blanche because I just love her aura. I just love it. (laughs) Anyway, which golden girl are you? Think about that. Send me an email. Let me know. Hit me up on Instagram at Thrift Diving and tell me which golden girl are you and why. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you again, Laura. And I will see you next episode. Find it ugly, make it pretty mm-hmm. Paint the power tools alright Saving money with those thrift store vibes Yeah, thrift diving mm-hmm. Find it ugly, 